Hello, and welcome to Eastgate Community Church. We are so glad you've joined us to listen to this message from our weekend encounter. We pray you are encouraged by what you are about to hear. Here. It's an honor, it's a joy, and I really am excited, and that's been a journey this week. I'll go into that a little bit. And um, this is to have a reference of time when I want to. I actually put this on to have a reference of time, and about two hours later it was still 7.30, so I think my battery's dead. I don't worry, it's, it's, it's a bracelet today. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Oh my gosh. Well, let me go go into how I'm standing up here today. Um, oh, around a week ago, I asked Scott, because you know, I knew Tom was going to be out of town. And I was thinking, I said, who's, got, who's Tom got lined up for Sunday? And he said, you know, I don't know. And I said, wouldn't that be something if he tapped us to kind of team teach? I was like, what would we do? I don't even know why I said that. I hadn't even, it just kind of was like, Whoa. And so Scott, unbeknownst to me, goes to Tom and tells Tom, said, you wouldn't believe what Jane said. So Tom, he told Tom, and Tom was like, no offense, God, but it's Jane. And uh, so Scott came back to me, and I'm like, what did you do? Why did you tell him that? You know, I didn't, that didn't what I was talking about, you know? And so I, I got on Boxer, and I'm trying to, I said, Tom, let me tell you what was said, you know? So anyway, Tom's like, well, let's just pray about it, Jane, but I feel like the Lord's all over this. And I'm like, Okay, okay, comfort zone, getting out. And um, anyway, even Tuesday when we met, just at eldership, and I, I'm like, Lily, you got something? Maybe we can team teach, you know, and all that. So she's like, well, I'll pray about it. And, Tom, and so Tom, at the end of it, was like, it's on you, Jane, it's you. And he said, you may not even know what it is till you get up there. But he said, God's got something in you, and it's going to come out. Amen. So I, I, that helped me be in rest. And um, so I was like, well, I was like, Go on and still prepare in case what I've got is real short, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, but I was in rest. And then yesterday morning, I was like, Lord, you know me. Can you kind of give me an outline or something? Because every time I'd go, I just was like, all I knew, all that was in me was to talk about sonship. Because I know that's kind of a prevailing theme in our, in our house and uh, in Eastgate. And it's a journey I'm on. And But it's like, I don't know what the heck I'll say other than, I'm a pilgrim on this journey, you know? And uh, so yesterday morning, I was like, Lord, can you just give me a few things, you know, maybe bullet points so I'm not freaking out? And he did. He was very gracious, and he just started downloading stuff. So I saw Lily yesterday, and I'm like, and, and we were talking about it, and I was like, I feel so much better. I've got to have direction, you know? So anyway, it, it, it extended on, and um, and I've got, got notes, so just to keep me my menopause brain from going, where was I going with that? You know, this will kind of help me, help me here. Yeah, you go from mommy brain to menopause brain. Sorry, ladies, but yeah, I should do that. But anyway, before we do, let's just pray, because I want the Lord to be glorified. I definitely don't want Jane to be glorified up here. And because um, if you knew me, you know, this is not my, my um, wheelhouse, so to speak. So. Father, we just love you. We come before you. And Lord, I just, again, submit myself to you. And Lord, you you cost a donkey to talk in the scripture. And Lord, I just pray your truth, your life that you want to impart comes forth from me today, Lord. And let anything of, of my flesh or any of my, quote, good ideas that I think might be good to share, 
if, if your hand and your breath isn't on it, Lord, let it fall. And uh, may you be honored and glorified. Amen. All righty. I wanted, in, in talking about sonship, what came to me was, because I'm a pilgrim on this road of, of becoming more and more into a son or, or daughter, if you will. You know, I was, I was going over this with Scott last night. I was like, let me read you what I've got so far. And whenever I would say son, he was like, say daughter. And I'm like, look, you're the bride of Christ. I'm the son of God, you know, or I can be a son. So anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But um, one thing that came to me was I have been on different journeys, and I've been through them. And I'm sure there's things you have too. And when you do these journeys with the Lord and you come out on the other side, you walk in a certain measure of authority for what you've been through. You know, you've been there, you've done that, you've learned. And, um, and I want to share a couple of those journeys before I go into sonship that, that I've been through and that um, I have a measure of authority in. Not all authority, of course, but a measure. Um, back in 2010, uh, I, and this can be a long story, but I'm going to try and just make, bring the meat out of it. I, was, uh, I found a lump in my breast and I was, found out I had breast cancer. And uh, a lot of fear came with that diagnosis because we were at a time in our life, um, we'd been through a tremendous shaking. God was establishing, doing some deep things in our marriage and our family and uh, just shook everything that can be shaken. For a wife, for me personally, I can't speak for all of you, I had a tremendous security blanket in finances. It's like, God, you can touch everything, but don't touch that. And uh, earlier in the 2000s, Scott got laid off. Of, he was a plumber. And it was a weird thing. He, was, he, he had left one company, felt the Lord was leading him to another. And he was, he was great. People loved him. And it was a heating and air that was branching into plumbing. And they wanted Scott to be kind of their first, their main plumber. And uh, so he was doing great, a lot of business. Um, and uh, we moved into a home. We built a home. And... Uh, we moved in the home in August. Scott got laid off around January. <laughs> you know, house note, mortgage, which was way higher than our rent had been, or our previous. We, were, we had a mortgage before, but it was higher than our previous mortgage. And uh, he went into this new job, and uh, within a couple of months got laid off from it. That they decided, mm, we're going to stay with heating and air. We're, we're going to close this plumbing branch down. Bad idea. We don't want to do it. And and we're like, holy cow, what are we going to do? And Scott said, I feel like we should go into, I should go self-employed. Well, I was like, oh, you know, it's like for, for comfort, for security, for all that. It was like, I, I know no grid for that. I didn't want it. And uh, But anyway, we did. And uh, um, through it, that was 2004. And then uh, around, long story, things happened, a lot of growth, a lot of shaking. Um, we, in 2008, we just weren't prepared for that economic downfall, and we wound up losing the house. And, but in the midst, that, I was, that was hard. Believe me, that was hard. But we had, a, we had things going on with one of our children who's a teenager. That was harder. You know, it's like the house was like wood, hay, stubble. This is real, you know, what's going on in the family. And, uh, but anyway, it was a time of great shaking. And um, then in 2010, I, quite by accident, Scott was helping me unload groceries, tossed a pack of Borden cheese slices at me. 
went right through my hands and hit me right here and it felt like a nail and I was like that hurt and uh, later and he just laughed so later we're in bed and I'm you know of course laying on my back and I I was like yeah that really did hurt and then I felt a little lump you know laying down like that and uh, I was like oh and I just had this feeling in the pit of my stomach like this this is not good and um, there was fear with that because we didn't have health insurance. And um, the next day, uh, I, I slept that night, just grace of God, but I did. I just kind of put that out of my mind and I slept. And uh, the next day I dug into scripture, but um, in the scripture, the very first one, I don't do this often, I don't recommend it, but I, you know, I was so overwhelmed. I just took my Bible and I'm like, please speak to me. And it, it fell open to Hosea. I wrote that down somewhere. Hosea 2.14. And in it, the Lord is telling, he's saying that he's drawing Gomer into the wilderness. Um, he, the Holy Spirit, is leading her into the wilderness. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. Okay, let's do it again. You know? And the, the very next scripture was Isaiah 43. I'm going to flip to that. Yeah, God meets us where we are. I was just freaking out, and uh, he just met me. Isaiah 43, this is what I read. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And a few verses later, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I was like, okay. Okay, I'm being led by you into the wilderness, but I'm not going to drown. I'm not going to be burned, and you're with me. And um, then... Uh, we found out, went to the doctor, and uh, you know he didn't like what he saw. Went to a specialist and um, did the mammogram, did the sonogram. They didn't like it either. They were like, this has all the markings and indications of cancer, and uh, we want to schedule you for a biopsy. Well, this January, early January, and it's like, oh my gosh, we're still regrouping. We don't have the money for it. We don't have health insurance. And uh, in March, I wound up having the biopsy done but the journey okay the journey through from january you know when they highly suspect cancer you know it's got all the indicators without a biopsy they can't know for certain um what was i going through you know and i wrote some notes i'm like lord help me to remember that because sometimes i forget i even had this experience you know um extreme vulnerability to the fragility of our life you know i it, it's so easy to think one day, one day I'm going to die, one day I'm going to be in heaven. It's going to happen one day, but it does not have any reality or closeness like right now. There's just that sense, I'm going to live forever. You know, it's just not not going to happen. And, uh, but wow, you know, here I was. And I, and I thought, okay, what if this is a minor cancer, but because we don't have the finances to do something about it, what if I wind up dying from this? You know, I mean, what, what, what? Um, so there's a lot of fear, a lot of what ifs, a lot of uncertainties. And um, what I came to was, 
And of course, our two younger, our Jonathan and Chad were older. They were pretty much in, independent. But we had Blake and Ethan, who were still early adolescents. And anyway, um, but what, what it boiled down to was my relationship with God. That is what mattered, you know. Um, do I know him intimately? Or is he my go-to when things are rough and then a distant deity when things are good? You know, and honestly, to be truthful, it was the latter. You know, I mean, I loved him. I had a relationship with him. But it was not a consistent daily intimacy that was growing. Uh, or consistent would be the key. Um, and, uh, and that sense of utter helplessness. I mean, I didn't even have the finances or the insurance. You know, you think, okay, I've got that. You know, and, and you think, if, if a tornado here in Texas, if a tornado's coming, a lot of times today we've got excellent warning systems. You know, so you can, you can take action. You can um, do something to prepare for a bad outcome. And when you're driving, what are the first thing we do? We buckle up, we drive defensively, or most of us drive defensively. <laughs> and, and why do we do it? We do it to, to prevent a bad outcome, you know? There's a measure, I guess, of control that, that you can do something about the situation. And then um, if, if you're in an area that you may be burglarized, you know, you can learn about gun safety, you can get a gun, you can have it on hand, and if, if the, you know, someone tried to break in, you've got the means, you know, you can do something to prevent. Well, well and how I, I like how I worded this, but like the word helped me. Um, when you're told you have a cluster of cells in your body that left to their own devices will multiply and kill you, it's a very helpless and frustrating feeling. And that's kind of where I was with it. Um, and I pressed into the Lord. I mean, he became a, a hope and a comfort like never before, but it still had a lot of fear and a lot of unanswered questions. And uh, it's funny, we had uh, felt like the Lord had led us to this church about October of that year, 09, before I found the cancer, you know, the, the tumor. And um, we went into the bookstore of this church, and there was these pamphlets up by the register. And I remember just like, oh, I just averted my eyes. I didn't even want to look at it. And I still have the pamphlet. And the Lord used it testimony of a cancer survivor and this was like three months before I discovered this this tumor and it was almost like I, I don't know but it was like it just like scared me well but I picked one up anyway stuck it in the back of my Bible so I pulled it out and this woman was a member of that church and there was life in here for me Psalm 139 13 through 16 for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me to be. Now what that told me was God already knew how many days I was going to live. And I was like, "Whoa, okay, I'm going to slip into agreement with that promise." that I will live every day that you ordain for me to live. I will not die prematurely. The enemy will not take me out. I will, you know, I'm, I can do that. I can do that. I, you know, so I did. And it was like, it was the beginning. It was like, a, you know, when you put together a, a cardboard puzzle, puzzle 
And when it's getting tight and you get a puzzle piece and you slip it in, it kind of snaps. It's just satisfying. And that's what I felt. It was like, it's like I needed this, you know, and it, and it, it gave me strength. I came into agreement with his word, and um, there were other scriptural promises I stood on during this time as well. Um, let me see where I'm going. Oh, okay. One thing at that time, it just was within me. I never heard anyone say it, but it was within me. Um, and, and okay, so I did wind up getting a biopsy. Let me back up. And they discovered from the little plug they took out that it was a moderately aggressive cancer, which you know you don't want to hear, but at least it wasn't extremely aggressive, but it was moderately aggressive. And um, and then friends, tons. Of, I, I was so lifted in prayer. I'm telling you what, guys. When you lift people up and you you storm heaven for them, that, that it's felt by the person going through it. I literally felt carried. And then when I was able, you know, when I was so weak, I didn't have that. But when I was starting to gain strength and stand on promises, I partnered with the prayers of the people that were lifting me up. It was incredible. But um, uh, one thing that was, you know, people would say, um, have you found out what, what your cancer is? Or have you found out, you know, the personal pronoun, your, your cancer? And I was like, ooh, you know, it's like, it is not mine. You know, I mean, it was just like, don't even go there. It is not. I didn't invite it. I'm not embracing it. it I'm not claiming it. It is not mine. And um, and that was just strong within me. And I felt that was a God thing rising up within me. And uh, in the different scriptures, you know, I would just stand on and my faith was strengthened. And I remember, okay, that was March. Um, in the interim, you're wondering, how did you do this without money? Um, our uh, breast cancer lady, doctor, she's an incredible woman. Uh, she lives here in Rockwell, actually. Uh, she started a foundation to help women that were either uninsured or underinsured. And it was uh, doctors, hospitals, every, you know, all these medical facilities participated with it and would offer services for a fraction of the cost. So I went through the steps, I got accepted into the program, and um, so there you go, you know. It was done. It was said that was taken care of, and um, and so I, I had to wait. That was March. Surgery was in May, so we still had a couple months. And uh, but we knew it was moderately moderately aggressive. And I remember putting my hands on it almost daily and talking to it and saying, you know what? You do not have permission to grow. You know the tests may say you're moderately aggressive, but in the name of Jesus, you do not have permission to grow. I am bought by the blood of Jesus. And you are not higher than God is. You're subjected to God. And I do not welcome you. You're a trespasser in my body. And you're going to leave, whether it's through the hands of a physician or supernaturally, you're going to leave. And you do not have permission to grow. And I, I, I was like, whew, I just felt, I walked taller. You know, I just felt empowered with that. I just slipped into that powerful faith. And you know what? Scripture says that um, what you believe, say. There's power in the spoken word. You know, I could have thought those same things, but I don't think it would have been as powerful. We need to speak and declare. So um, then I have this surgery. They remove it. Um, they took some lymph nodes from under my armpits, and I, it had not spread. Praise God. And more than that, they were surprised. 
from the time they, they took the measurements and the parameters and that invasive sonogram, I'm telling you what, they and, and uh, the mammograms, uh, from January to mid-May, that thing had not grown a half a millimeter. It was the same size as it was in January. And I was like, yay! So I began the cancer journey in a posture of fearful helplessness, and I completed it in a state of rest, trust, faith, and confident hope in the Lord. And, uh, and again, along the way, as I gained ground, I lived in victory in the midst of circumstances, and I was able to enter into the rest and grace he provides. And uh, he, he's just faithful, he is so good. And um, toward the end of that, where did I put that? There was a scripture, I was going through a Bible study a few months after the surgery, and uh, it was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It was uh, uh, Psalm, I think 129, where it kind of talks about that same, pa you know, the passage in Isaiah where it said, you, you know, you're going to go through the, the waters, but you won't be drowned. You'll go through the fire, but you won't be burned. This Psalm talks about, it said, you went through the waters, but you weren't drowned. You know, it talks about it like from the other side. And it said, you're free, like a bird, free from a snare, you're free. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was just like, just a God wink toward the end of everything. So anyway, had that season and uh, I gained a measure of authority in that. And uh, then there was the season of the prodigal son, which a lot of y'all know. And uh, I learned a new aspect of walking with God. This one was more recently. And uh, rather than praying and begging God to make all things right in my world and in my children's lives, I asked him what he wanted me to pray. What should my posture be? And he answered me in marvelous ways. He did. He did. He, and I did. I, was just, I would ask and I'd just be still and I would just hear him. He was so near to me. He comforted me. He listened to my liquid prayers. We've been talking about, you know, sometimes you, he collects our tears, but they're also liquid prayers to him. Sometimes you don't know what to pray, and, uh, but he knows. And he gave me verses of promise to stand on. Through that time, he taught me to not let what my eyes see dictate my emotions. Because what my eyes saw wasn't... wasn't encouraging you know my hope was in him and in his faithfulness and his promises he gave me the strength to let go and allow him to work mothers do you know how hard it is to do that with your children you know i mean that children are in all stages but i'm here to tell you adult children you embrace those toddler and preschool years i mean the older they get the harder it is and um but he taught me to do that and to let go. And, uh, okay, it was a precious, it was a wilderness season, uh, yeah, no doubt. It was a wilderness season that in hindsight, looking back on, is precious to me. When that season ended, and I will say for those of you that don't know, that are visiting, the, um, our prodigal returned, and uh, he's, rebuilding his life and uh, his relationship with the Lord. And he's a work in progress, but his heart is for the Lord. You know, he's very good. Um, when that season ended and I emerged from the wilderness, 
I was truly leaning on him, as Rachel's song says. She wrote a song about saying yes to the wilderness and that when you when you emerge from the wilderness, you know, I'll be leaning on him. And and I thought, you know, the paradox is that yes, I was leaning on him. You know, and when you think leaning on him implies you're weak, so he's carrying you. But I was stronger in him than ever before. You know, I'm leaning on him because he's my source. But I was stronger than ever. And um, as weird as it sounds, I'm not a masochist. I don't like pain. But I would not trade that experience. I wouldn't trade the other experience. You know, just for, for the, the relationship and the intimacy I, I gained and grew in the Lord with. So... Now moving on to sonship. Now, un, you know, unlike those other two, I am I'm on the journey. I'm on, but I can share what I've learned so far, and I kind of broke it up into three parts. First of all, I had a paradigm shift with who I I am, my identity, and who I am in the Lord. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history about myself. I was saved when I was 14 years old, and. Um, I came into the kingdom with a hunger for the word of God. Um, I had wonderful parents. They were awesome. They grew up in church, but they didn't bring their kids up in church. But it was a very moral, God-honoring and respecting home, but we were not a church family. And uh, we didn't read the Bible, you know. Um, but they encouraged, from the time I was a little kid, there was a Baptist church within walking distance of the house. And I would walk by myself. Mom would get me dressed, and I would walk, and I'd go to church all by myself. And I don't know, I was just, I guess, just drawn by the Spirit of the Lord. But I, I would, and I would just sit in church wishing. I'd look at families sitting together, and I would just be, you know, a little eight-year-old little girl all by herself, and, you know, just wishing my family was with me. And uh, anyway, uh, I was saved, but about a year before I got saved, my older sister and her husband were uh, were radically saved and uh, we were living my my immediate family were living in England my oldest brother and sister were in America and um, she got saved while we were there and I remember her writing on a yellow index pad not index um, legal yellow legal pad she wrote us you know of course it's you know the 70s we didn't have email and all that so it was snail mail but she wrote um, her conversion experience and, and her husband the church they found the pastor and I'm telling y'all Mom, mom and dad read the letter, and I mean, they were like, blankety blank, Connie's a Jesus freak now, she's a religious fanatic, and, uh, and I was like, really? You know, let me read that, and I remember, it was trifold, and I remember unfolding it and looking at it, and, and I don't, I don't mean this heebie-jeebie, but that letter glowed. It was yellow with blue ink, but it's like there was a radiating light coming off that letter, and I remember reading it, and my sister is near and dear to me. I mean, she's 12 and a half years older than me. You would think, oh my gosh, how do y'all have a relationship? Well, she's just a unique person. When I was born, I was like her baby. You know, I mean, she, her name's Connie, but she was Nani to me. And uh, just, I don't know, she was just like another mother, but she's a best friend, you know? So what happened in her life greatly affected me. And um, anyway, through a series of events, when we were in England for a year, we moved back, and um, she was, I mean, she just kind of brought me in. I spent weekends with her. She was pouring over the Word of God with me. She bought me a, 
um, what was the new Bible at that time? The Living Bible was brand new. So she bought me a Living Bible. And so I started reading, but I was not saved yet. And then I got saved. And um, by this time, my, my dad and brothers, would, we'd go to church occasionally. But when I got saved, um, my dad and my mother started going. Well, my mother, she, she was an in-home alcoholic. Long story how she got addicted, but it was actually through a doctor. She was extremely underweight, and a doctor um, told her to drink beer to gain weight. So she started um, started drinking, and she would literally pinch her nose to drink it down. And uh, I obviously, I got my dad's mother's build. <laughs> my mother was a skinny woman. And uh, it's like, oh, why couldn't I have got your jeans there? But um, anyway, I got kind of round and short from my maternal, paternal grandmother. Um, and um, mom had a kind of addictive personality. Her dad, her dad who lived with us was an alcoholic. Anyway, mom's moved from beer into other things, you know, hard liquor. And um, she, she was an alcoholic from the time I was five until uh, now I'm a teenager and uh, got saved. And mom got real resentful because our family started going to church and she felt like the church was taking her family away. So she was not happy. And uh, I got saved in December. My dad, my oldest two brothers, got saved in January. I mean, it was a boom, 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 radical. So we, you know, we were in church, and uh, and uh, mom would go some, but she just wasn't. She she felt and and looking back, I repented so much because as a 16 year old, I judged her. You know, it's like, oh, you're so weak. You know, you're just weak. And looking back on it, mom mom felt like she wasn't worthy. You know, she. This, this addiction had controlled her life. She wasn't worthy. And uh, anyway, the years, a couple years went by, and um, apparently my mother had a private conversation with the Lord and said, if you're who they say, they, if you are who they say you are, you, you can take this desire from me. And if you are, take it. And instantly, the desire for liquor was taken from her. But she didn't tell us, because she was afraid of, dis you know, dis disappointing us she was afraid of failure but she got an empty um, pickle jar glass pickle jar it was hidden in a she hid it in a cabinet and she would put the money that she would get the daily liquor you know she'd go to the grocery store she would take that cash whatever I don't know seven or eight dollars a day whatever it was drop it in that jar and after after several weeks she told my dad and then I, you know, I, I don't really remember. I guess I was in my own life. I don't really remember her not being drunk anymore because she, she could handle it and hold it, kind of hide it well. But um, she started going to church more, and then she made a profession of faith publicly. She talked to the pastor, and uh, she asked my dad if she could take that, that old liquor money and buy a new wardrobe for church. And she had several, several hundred dollars in there. So he was like, uh, yes, I'll, I'll double what's in there, you know. So um, God is so faithful. And my mother, oh, she was such a faithful woman uh, after that. Just, just a precious jewel that I didn't fully appreciate while she was on earth. She died several years later. But um, anyway, uh, then, okay, going back to my journey. I was, we were, I was in a little Southern Baptist church and uh, sweet, sweet community. I mean, just family. It was just a sweet little little fellowship. Uh, I finished high school, went to college, and um, 
I kind of, it was kind of a culture shock for me because I found at that time it was called the BSU, the Baptist Student Union. And uh, so I was like, find, kind of trying to find my tribe, you know, kids that like me. Well, I found kids who were raised in church but lived like hell, you know. And I, I because I was saved when I was, you know, a mid teenager, I love Jesus. And I'm like, do you even know him, you know? And, um, Anyway, I'm sad to say my zeal, my burning desire for the Lord dimmed here in college. And, uh, and I did befriend a lot of the, the BSU kids who are wonderful. They're wonderful people. But I think, again, because it, faith was so new to me, where faith was not new to them. They, it was like that old familiarity. You know, it lacked that beauty and that newness and all. So anyway, I, um, I finished college. And while, and like I mentioned before, my grandfather, who who was an alcoholic, he lived with us from the time I was before I was born, and um, he saw the transformation in my family. And um, he didn't go to church. He was a World War One veteran, and uh, he was crippled. He was missing an ankle, so he was he walked with a bad limp, and uh, he didn't leave the house much at all. And but he drank um, a pack of Miller Lite a day, though, and. Uh, Anyway, when mom was when mom was uh, giving up alcohol, he told her. He said, "I'm going to quit as well because I don't want to tempt you." Because mom had to buy the liquor for him, you know. And he said, "I'm I'm going to quit too." And uh, he did not know the Lord, and he he was a cussing, mean old man. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was sweet in his own way, but he he was real mean to my mother, and. Uh, she was a she was um, she was a twin, and they were the only children he had. And um, anyway, my mother was just just loved him regardless. And I will say, just praying for him. You know, you pray for his salvation. He's in his mid eighties. You know, it's like it was almost like a token prayer. Of, you know, it's like Lord save Pappy. You know, and um, you know, really being truthful. And uh, Pappy was a chain smoker. And come to find out, he had uh, aggressive lung cancer. It had metastasized everywhere. And um, he opted to not do anything. And uh, like I said, he lived with us. And he just, he asked mom and dad, please don't put me in a home. You know, let me die here. So they were like, definitely, you know, we're not putting, taking you anywhere. And, uh, but his heart, he again, that vulnerability, I'm facing eternity. Y'all know something I don't, you know. So anyway, he wound up giving his life to the Lord. And uh, I was 80, like 85. And guys, I'm here to tell you, he lived, oh shoot, I don't know if he lived a year after that, but he was a changed man. He was kind, he was sweet. Where he used to be so um, ugly to my mother, he wasn't. He was appreciative of her. You know, it's like, it was just wonderful. And then, uh, before he died, he got my mom and dad together and thanked them for everything they'd done, literally. I mean, they took him in their home for um, probably 30 years he lived with them and um, passed away in his sleep. And uh, I, I played, for his favorite, I played the piano, little Baptist girl, played Baptist hymns. And I had a favorite song and, and asked me beforehand if I would play that at his funeral. And so I did. And. Uh, it was a real sweet, sweet time. But I guess just to say, kind of giving you a history of where I came from. Uh, 
then I'm finishing my fourth year of college and um, I realized hey, I'm about to enter the adult world and um, I felt dry spiritually and um, around that time a, a revival group from Dallas a Bible college in Dallas came to my church so I I was I was in school full-time and worked 3 to 11 in uh, the field I was going in and uh, so I got off some and went and I'm telling you what I felt drawn to come to Dallas it was I never experienced it I mean I I didn't know the hearing ear of, of the Lord but um, I knew he was calling me talk to my dad and here I'm about to graduate I'm weeks from graduating and going into the field my mom was like no we have put you through college you know I, I did a couple of years of loans but back then loans loans were like 2500 a semester you know I know younger they were paying their loans off for years I mean it took a couple years for me but um but she was like no how can this be God you know and my dad would talk to her and, and it's like I don't understand it I just know I'm supposed to go so I graduated on a Friday night Dad and I got up around 3 a.m. Saturday, drove to Dallas. Of course, I'd been in touch with the Bible College here. I didn't want another degree. I didn't want to go there and get a Bible degree. I just wanted to go and immerse, you know, and in the Lord and, and renew my connection and just see what, what was next. And um, so I did, and I happened to meet Scott. I arrived on a Saturday. I met Scott on Sunday. And, uh, yeah. And you know what stood out to me? I'm at the front of the church's First Baptist Dallas. Dr. Criswell was still the pastor there. And uh, I'm at the front, and I see this guy in the back who's kind of short. And, uh, and But what I, what I noticed, it wasn't like, oh, hubba hubba. You know, it wasn't that. It was his belt buckle. Y'all, I came from South Louisiana. Like 99 and 3 fourths percent of the guys I grew up with were Catholic. No, no harm to Catholics, but Catholics down there, you know, they, they didn't have a walk with the Lord, put it that way. And uh, so guys that loved the Lord, they were like aliens to me. You know, I've never <laughs> seen that. And I read his belt buckle from across the room, and it said, Christ for me. And like a cowboy belt buckle. And I was like, I want to know that guy. <laughs> yeah, I want to get to know him. So anyway, I did. I did. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't go like, oh, he's the one. You know, it was just like a guy who can wear that, and it announces he has a relationship with the Lord. I want to know who that is. You know. So anyway, um, I did. But while we were at the college, okay, let me just just share. I, I had this analogy, and I really like it. I think y'all will get it. You know how when Apple phones first came out, it was, uh, not Apple, what is it? iPhone. iPhones first came out. I guess it, they didn't call it 1.0, but it was iPhone. And then, then they started naming them as the upgrade. They were named. Okay, well, y'all, I was Jane 1.0 right here. And uh, I'm probably, I don't know where I am now, Jane 8.0, 9.0. But I was pretty raw, pretty raw. I, um, I was outspoken I know I know looking at me you would think really <laughs> I was opinionated I was extremely stubborn if I felt right about something I was unbendable unbendable that's how I was and 
Um, I even had the nickname, the best friend, I mean, the best man in our wedding. He and I actually dated before Scott and I did. And um, you know what he nicknamed me? And it wasn't for kissing. I never kissed him. It was Thunder Lips. And it kind of got around in the college because I was so outspoken. I was bold. And, and sometimes I look back and think, who was she? Where did she go? You know, she's, she's been upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> y'all look at Jonathan and wonder where he, she came from. He is my son, y'all. I'm telling you what. And um, I, Thunder Lips. Okay, so fast forward. This is, um, I don't know, probably in the last two years, pretty recently. I was in Walmart. I was in the dairy section and ran into an old professor from Criswell. Scott and I loved him. We would babysit for his, their children, he and his wife Lynn. They had three, three precious little boys. Um, well, talk about make you feel old. One of those little boys is now a professor at Criswell <laughs> with him. He's a professor something and Daniel's a professor something else. And I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, Anyway, so we were talking and he said, Jane, do you remember that chapel when you called out Dr. Criswell? And I was like, no. Y'all, I had no memory of this because this is who I was. And uh, apparently there was, um, there was, uh, I'm like, this is going on YouTube, but um, so you may want to, I don't know. There was some, some kind of scandal. I honestly, to this day, don't remember. There was a scandal amongst the deacons of that church with me and a one deacon and uh, some kind of sin. I, I don't remember what it was. Well, anyway, Dr. Crystal wasn't really, he was just kind of, you know, not really dealing with it. And um, here, you know, I'm in the Bible school. We're learning theology, hermeneutics, eschatology, and church discipline. And, you know, you're, the, you're this huge man in the Southern Baptist Convention. So the Q&A opened up in chapel, apparently. I still don't, I vaguely remember it. Well, my hand shot up. And I was like, Dr. Criswell, this situation among your board of deacons, why are you not handling, what are you doing with that? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I look and I would think, I would never do that now. But um, anyway, Dr. Dr. Street told me, he said, Jane, we still talk about that. He said, we talk about that in our classes right now. He said, you had more balls than anyone in that chapel. And there was like over 300 people in that chapel. And oh my word. And I'm like, that's why at our wedding, usually the college sends, you know, a representative to when students get married, the chancellor of the college and his wife were at our wedding. We had three different professors and their wives. Scott and I weren't star students. I mean, I, I, I pulled Scott through Greek, you know. I mean, we weren't like academic future Southern Baptist heroes, you know. Because I remember thinking, why the heck are all these professors at our wedding, you know? They were like, that girl's got grit, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me, you know? So anyway, all of that, I guess, is good. But I was untempered, I was untempered. And you take that into a marriage? Poor Scott. <laughs> Seriously, poor Scott. Um, yeah, 
it was not not pretty those first couple of years. And um, yeah, yeah, we grew, we grew a lot. Um, but as far as my relationship with God, where I was, I knew a lot of Bible, I knew a lot of teachings, I knew religion, you know, I knew religion. Through this, even in my outspokenness and all, I, there was a large measure of me that was a people pleaser and what other people thought of me was extremely important to me and uh, too important. I knew that God loved me, but like I alluded to before, I didn't have that close, consistent, intimate fellowship with him. Um, I kind of, it was almost like in the military, you know, your commanding officer, he gives you orders and you go do it. So I almost felt like you'd get with God and then you go do it. But God's there and you're here. You know, you read the word, you uh, you make disciples, you do good things, but he's there, you know? So there was that disconnect, but that, that was what was what was my life. You know, that was normal for me. And then uh, during the revival in the early 90s, um, I was touched by God in ways I had never, never been touched by God before. And, uh, and Rodney Howard Brown led a revival turned into a six six week thing. It started out to be like maybe a few days. And uh, I remember him, when people would go down, he would say, don't touch him because the Lord's doing a work. And he would kind of give instruction and say, when you're touched by God, you're getting up a different, you're getting up change. You may not know what's changed in you, but something, he's he's doing some shifting and you know, he's, he's bringing light. He's, bringing alignment. He's doing hidden things in you. Well, I had a lot of floor time in the 90s. And um, <laughs> so I knew things were happening in me. And, uh, and it marked me. It marked me. And then as far as my, my walk with the Lord, I'm kinda, I kind of started, went backward, and now I'm coming back. We were in our house, and uh, all that was going on. And uh, I started a Bible study that was life changing for me. It was called Believing God by Beth Moore. And I've actually done it three or four times over the years. It's just one of the most profound for me Bible studies. Um, in it, I learned Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Talking about your identity. You read the first chapter of Ephesians, that first part, you'll see that your I am blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed. All those are in those verses 3 through 14. I am blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed. That just was sinking in. It was sinking in, and it was transforming. I realized I don't have to prove myself to God. I don't have to hide my flaws from his all-seeing eyes. I don't have to fear coming to him with my faults and my failures and my defeats. Because like that military persona I had, you know, it's like, okay, I gotta, gotta get right, gotta get, you know, get it covered up or buried or whatever. Okay, Lord, I just love you so much. You know, who was I fooling? But I, I, I thought I was, you know, I was doing it. Well, I started realizing I don't have to do that. And, uh, and because it was a process, but what I knew in my head started making that 18-inch journey to my heart. And it started um, 
that transformative uh, process started happening and, and life and, and change started happening. It took root and produced life. And some of the things I knew up here, obviously, you know, a lot of scripture, but uh, I knew that he loves me with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3, it's one of my favorites, and knew that his love would cause him to pursue me no matter what, like the shepherd who would leave his 99 sheep and go after the one that strayed. That's his love for me, and I, I knew that. I knew that he's faithful to me, and Hebrews 3.5 tells me that he will never leave me or forsake me. I think it's that passage. If you look it up in the Strong's, the literal Greek translation is, I will never, 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 no, ever. I mean, it's like a triple negative. It's like it just doesn't happen in Scripture, but it happens there. I will never leave you or forsake you. And, uh, and then just... Just scripture, knowledge I had just started becoming real to me. And um, that, like my identity started transforming, you know, into, into more of, of who he made me to be, not who I thought I had to make myself in for him. Ooh, that's good. I didn't have that one written down. <laughs> that was good. Um, secondly, in my journey of sonship, a shift took, took place in my concept of discipline of the Lord. <sighs> Again, I had great parents, but I was afraid of my dad when he would, when he would get, he wasn't a yeller, he didn't abuse, but he, um, he would whip in anger. I mean, he would, and, he, and um, I only had two whippings, but I, I, was, I was the little girl, he could look at me and go, you know, I mean, he didn't have to whip me. But there were times, there was a season in my life when I was a little girl, I cried at night. I was so afraid. Fears just consumed me. And uh, it was shortly after my mother started drinking. I guess as a little girl, I didn't know what was going on, but I just, there was not comfort and security in my home. And I just, we had moved to California and my sister, my nanny was here. She was an x-ray technician in New Orleans or here, meaning in the South. We were in California, and uh, my life was just flipped upside down, and I would lay in bed and just cry. I'd cry. And my mom and dad and I, we had upstairs bedrooms, kind of a Jack and Jill, but a bathroom between our bedrooms, and they could hear me. And I remember, and again, this paints my dad in a bad light, but it, I'm only sharing it to say it transferred in how I saw the Heavenly Father. But dad would come in, and I, you know, I would just have my eyes closed, and um, you know, he wouldn't sit on the bed and comfort me. He wouldn't like, oh, what's going on? I literally felt myself being lifted up in the air. He would grip my shoulders. He gripped my shoulders and just shake me, put me down on the bed, and be quiet, and would leave. And that that happened several times. And then I would cover my face in the pillow so they wouldn't hear me if I felt. And and at the same time. Y'all think I'm a neurotic weirdo, but I, I had a lot going on. The Manson murders happened in California. Charles Manson. And uh, the, one of the families they killed, LaBianca, they didn't live too far from where we lived. I mean, we were within a few mile radius. I, I wasn't afraid that they might come. I knew they were coming. I knew they were coming for my family. And a part of me, I didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to be the one that would hear him break in 
so I could alert my family. And uh, all that I stuffed. That came out in counseling later. But um, greatly affected me. So anyway, but that, that, that thing from my father, like, be quiet, you know, all that. So in discipline of the Lord, you know, it's like, you make yourself good, or, or it's like, oh, I know this is a weak area. Oh, I know I'm, I'm blowing it here. Do better, Jane. Do better. You can do it. You can do it. I love you, Lord. I love you, Father. I love you. You know, I didn't have the freedom to take that to him because a part of me felt like he was going to grab me by the shoulders and shake me and say, would you just stop it? You know? It's like, ah. Oh. And then... That went on for years. I mean, I still uh, had that concept of discipline of the Lord. I didn't give it. And when people talked about how they welcomed it, I'm like, are you flipping crazy? Who are you? You know, because that was my grid. That was my filter for discipline of the Lord. And then Scott, Scott got this revelation that changed him, changed me. Of he, Scott stepped into such a loving perspective of the discipline of God. And it was, and the Lord let me see, with my eyes closed, I could see him looking at me with such tenderness, such love, such incredible compassion, with with whatever, you know, whatever my sin was, whatever my unhealed hurt was. And and I'm just telling you in first person, but this is the revelation that I got from Scott that was transformative. And it was like, sweetie, I love you. I love you. Even with that, I see it. I saw it before you knew it was there. I love you. I love you too much to let it go on because it's hurting you. Would you give it to me? I was like, oh, this is discipline. Oh my gosh, yes, I'll give it to you. What else can I give to you? I mean, you know, it was transforming. And that's, that's it, guys. And, and that's my experience. That's been my, that's my new normal with him. And, and it's like, you know, some, sometimes now I, I may feel frustration or I feel alienated. And it's like, Father, why do I feel this way? And then I'm still, and then he'll just bring back something that ends like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Would you take that? I repent from that. That's that's the discipline I walk in now, y'all. And if you can grab, if I don't share anything else, if you can take that and chew on it and meditate on it, it'll change you. It'll If you have that fear of, of God, of discipline, um, anyway, that's my hope. Um, okay. These notes are helpful. Uh, oh, okay. I asked Scott, because I was reading over this with Scott, and it kind of scared me, because I read it in like seven minutes. I thought, holy cow, what, how am I going to make this longer? And he was like, don't worry, you're not going to be reading it tomorrow. So... But anyway, I was like, what's an example I could give of um, discipline? You know, I mean, we share everything. And uh, so he gave me one. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll share that. And this was one. Year, back probably 2008, 
uh, when we were going through the house thing and then uh, one of our teenagers was just going going another way there and um Scott uh, Scott was handling it in a way I did not agree with keep in mind God's bringing order in our home he was making Scott the spiritual head which I, I shared with you who I was in that I did not trust Scott to be the spiritual head bottom line I didn't think he could do it he needed me and the Lord was saying bring your house in order and he was like a bull in a china closet bringing our house in order but you know what given where I was there wasn't any other way you know I didn't have confidence in him he was more passive he was quiet just get out of the way and let me do it you know and the Lord was like shut up and sit down and uh, so Scott was stepping up in discipline and parenting and all that I mean he flipped our world upside down and uh, and there were consequences with one of our kids who didn't want to bow down to what dad was saying. And it was to the point of opening the door, there you go, leave. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's a senior in high school. You don't do this. A loving father does not do this. And um, a lot of discord there. I spent a lot of faith. It, it was that situation broke me. Because the leading, I, I helped bring that situation to what it came. Because I interjected myself between my husband and my son. And uh, I would try and interpret to my son what my husband was saying. I would try and interpret to my husband where my son was. And I'm just, I'm just a, a mess, you know? I had no place being there, but that's what I did. I was putting myself there. And uh, it exploded, it exploded. And um, Scott and Chad didn't have a relationship as a result because I, I put myself in there. And um, anyways, I'm repenting. God is breaking me, breaking me, breaking me. And, um, and I'm allowing it because I know things are out of my hands. I mean, we're probably going to lose the house at this point. We're losing our kid. You know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Okay, what do I do? You know, I, I admit I don't know it all. And um, anyway, the Lord told me, and I, I just, y'all, we can, you can hear God. You can press in. You can hear him. But I was just praying. I didn't, I, my prayer, I was so hurt. I felt so out of control I was so um, sad over everything that was going on all I could pray was Jesus I was face down in snot and tears on our bedroom carpet and I was just crying out Jesus Jesus and um and the Lord spoke to me he said Jane what Scott is feeling righteous anger that's me the mercy and compassion you're feeling that's me too and uh, I was like, what? What? You know, so anyway, he and I, 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 I got up from that, wound up sharing that with Scott, and um, that was huge. It was huge. And then I wound up repenting uh, before, because what I had done, I had judged Scott. I was super critical of him, and, uh, and I, I brought that to the Lord because I, I didn't see how that could be God, you know? Anyway, I repented, and... Uh, the Lord forgave me, but anyway, that was that was Scott's example. I want to make sure with y'all, and uh, and it, it was it was a turning point in mine and his new relationship of walking together with him as a spiritual head, and and it didn't put me without a voice. I have a huge voice, but I'm not the voice, you know, and that was that was big. Um, okay, 
Okay, also, when I repented from this, I didn't sense any negative vibes from God. I sensed his love for me. Bottom line, he loves us so much. He doesn't want us to continue in sin, especially when he's highlighted that in your life and revealed it to you. He yearns for us to lay it before him, repent, and receive his wholeness. And when this happens to you, picture him, picture his eyes of love, not his eyes of judgment or, you know, looking at you with disapproval or um, disappointment. Look with the eyes of love. And thirdly, I'm almost finished. I cannot believe. I'm like, I thought I wasn't going to go long enough. I'll finish in the next five minutes. Give me the microphone and the old Jane's popping up. <laughs> Anyways, the, the, third, the third aspect of sonship that I'm walking into is a continuing revelation of his love. Everything I've said before ties into this. But um, his revelation of his love for me, transform, it, it changes how I view other people. It transforms my relationships with other people. And I have a desire to see other people come into this type of revelation. Not my walk. My walk won't be your walk. But that revelation of his love, his unconditional love for you. I have a couple of scriptures and then I'm through. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 3.6 says, The only thing, God, think about this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Through what? Through love. Faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that matters. Bob Jones, back in the 70s, had a, out of, a death experience, went to heaven. The Lord asked him, have you learned to love? Have you learned to love? It's a big thing. 1 Corinthians 13. If I needed, if I needed time filler, I was going to read it for you, but I, I don't. So you read it. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Read it. Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. Read it. It's, it's Paul's prayer that we would come into the, the fullness of the revelation of the love of God. Guys, without the love of God, it's it's all just nothing. You know, it, we, we bring pain to each other without the love of God. So, anyway, so my shift in sonship, that my process has been, he's shifted my identity in, in who I am, in him. My perception of who he is, which incorporated the discipline, because that's huge in my life. And then uh, my growing in his love. So. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All righty. Let's pray. And, it, and just, I just invite y'all to just say, Lord, grow me. Take me. Take me to that next upgrade. Father, we just come before you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us with such an everlasting, such an unconditional, encompassing love. We receive it. Lord, help us to walk more in the knowledge, in the beauty, in the life of your love. 
Father, open our eyes, open our ears to anything you want to highlight, anything that is hurting us, any walls we've built, any, um, any areas of sin. And Lord, let us have that, that truth that you are looking with eyes of love and compassion saying, sweetheart, I love you. You may just be becoming aware of this area in your life and you may feel shame, you may feel guilt or that, that repetitive sin that you feel so guilty over. I knew it was there before you did and I loved you. I love you and have not deterred my love for you. Give it to me. Father, help us just to extend that open hand to you and to give it to you and, and, and to exchange it for your life, to exchange it for an increase in, in your love. We bless you, Lord, and just pray that, Lord, you would just lead out, lead the remainder of our day. Thank you for Eastgate. Thank you for what you're doing in Eastgate. May it be to your honor and glory always. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about our community, please visit our website at eastgatetx.org.